Hello there, everyone. This is your host, Sophia Nelson, and welcome to the One America podcast. We have a special segment for you today with a special guest. We had a little bit of technical difficulty for our Monday Motivation podcast, but we've got this together, so we're doing this on Tuesday so that our guest can have this day all to herself and you can download and share as you always do. I'm happy to have with me on the One America podcast, Rachel Pearson. Rachel is a dynamo. Uh, She reminds me a little of myself. Can I say that? But anyway, Rachel is amazing. She draws on years of extensive experience at the federal level, at the state level. She's worked in elective politics, uh, associations, and nonprofit organizations. But most important to me is the work that Rachel's doing right now. And she has uh, created a new platform, a new organization, a new movement, frankly, entitled Engage. And Engage is all about promoting women's economic security. It's a bipartisan organization. God knows we need that. And it's really about focusing on women and expanding economic opportunity for all American women in this new 21st century. So, Rachel, thank you for being on. Thank you for your patience and welcome to the show. No, thank you, Sophia. I'm so thrilled. Uh, I'm so thrilled to be here. Um, um, I'm incredibly excited to talk to you about Engage, um, and we made it on Tuesday, so so blessings to that. Um, it's a real honor to talk to you, too, because you are a leader for all women. You're a leader for all Americans, but um, much of Engage's work, I know, resonates with you, um, and it means so very much um, that you'll give me the time today to talk about what I'm, what I'm trying to accomplish. Right. And, and that's, let's get right into it. Um, I'm going to break this into several parts that we talked about before, but the first thing I would like you to do is to tell our listeners, you know, it's interesting, my podcast, particularly on the Apple and Spotify platforms, it's evenly split between men and women. And I think it's important, not just that we talk to women about our economic empowerment, you know, how we're doing, what we're doing, but I also think it's important to engage men in the conversation. Because I think men are still, obviously, the decision makers in corporate and politics, et cetera, overwhelmingly still male and still white. And I think it's important that they know what's going on with us, too. So tell us a little bit about Engage, why you started it, what are you trying to do, and how can we all get involved and help you? Thank you. Well, I'll jump right into Engage, but first let me echo um, echo your remark about uh, men. I often say Engage isn't going to happen unless there are a lot of very good men. So hello to all the men that are out there listening to this. Uh, you're just as important um, to the success of Engage uh, and our mission, certainly as women. But Engage is a very uh, simple and big idea, and then of course everything gets more complicated in our binary Um, society right now, but Engage is based on the first truth that is women outnumber, outvote, and outlive men. Uh, We're responsible for 83% of all consumer purchases in the United States, and we control over $20 trillion of the world's spending power. That's 83% in the United States and 20 trillion in the world. So with that as a a North Star, if you will, that would seem to suggest that women and their economic security should be the most important uh, issue 
that our elected leaders uh, are focused on at every level, federal, state, and local. Engage is quite simply an organization, a nonprofit that wishes to promote women's economic security. Some things that make you engage unique and different than what's perhaps on the landscape already is that celebrating bipartisanship, celebrating the compromise, if you will, is inherent to what we're trying to do. We believe um, that women, also men, but women in particular, who are multitaskers, who are compromisers, who are juggling all kinds of things, in some cases raising children, trying to get them to compromise, um, are really frustrated uh, to the boiling point um, um, at our inability uh, at the national level, at least seemingly, to attack some of the problems uh, which hold their economic security back. Um, we would say at Engage and do say that we know that women go to bed at night, nearly all women go to night, worrying about their health, their family's health, and their economic security. Um, so uh, what makes us unique, as I said, is first, uh, we want women to come together in one conversation. Um, where we celebrate bipartisanship, where we celebrate uh, corporations that are solving problems, that are part of the solution, um, bringing those forces to bear on um, our nation's government and on many state governments, which I think are not doing what they can to, uh, to make women's lives more secure. How we hold everybody in that tent, if you will, um, is that we choose to not talk about certain social issues that tend to immediately divide and have us fighting um, each other um, before we even get through five minutes, if you will. Um, so we're, we're formed on that simple truth of promoting our economic security um, and also uh, formed to try and hold a large group of women together. I say, and my dream is that I think this nation needs a women's movement for the 21st century, uh, where we use all of that power, the power of the fact that we outnumber and we outvote um, and that we uh, are going to be here a little bit longer than all of our glorious husbands, men's brothers and friends um, uh, to, to demand um, that our issues of economic security are addressed in a thoughtful way. I think that that's so important and it leads me into a couple of things I obviously want to talk about. Uh, to our listeners, if you're getting any little bit of feedback or anything, ignore it. Uh, we'll work on it with the uh, with the sound and we'll make sure this is right but i i'm always straight with you guys sometimes we have some technical challenges and i'm getting a little feedback so just be patient with us but uh rachel i think um one of the things that this leads me to is what's going on right now in the moment we find ourselves in uh we're in the middle of a global pandemic it's hit the united states particularly hard and we have the president uh down with it the first lady secret service agents senators uh, the white house press secretary etc and i want to talk a little bit about covid and what it's done to women in particular in the workplace and what you see um is a trend here since the spring when this all happened um for women well, I think uh, first and foremost, I think it's incredibly scary. I think women at every age level and um, every economic station um, are very, very frightened. It, and I think it'll be two or three generations um, before we're able to fully realize what this, the, 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 the detrimental effect and disproportionate 
effect it has had on women's economic security. Um, you know, the facts are widely found um, in newspapers around the country and, and, and lots of uh, thoughtful leaders. But just as we know, women are three times more likely than men to not be working due to child care issues. Um, that 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 is the, you know that that's that's the burden that women bear. This COVID has essentially forced a pause in women's work life, and we don't have enough time to go into the complexity of that observation. But take, if you will, the woman um, who has to work either because she's a single mother or because she is in a two-income earning household. She's been forced to make incredibly difficult decisions about child child care, kids being home at school. Um, it's forced her to leave. She's probably spent through her savings, um, if the family had any savings to begin with, and they're making incredibly difficult choices. Um, and the other side of that, the woman that perhaps say is uh, may have a little bit more freedom economically. Um, has more readily available childcare, let's say, or doesn't even have children, um, or her children are grown, she's been forced to take a career pause. And we know how detrimental that can be, because what does that mean? It means that it affects her social security, it affects her retirement, it affects her ability necessarily to, to, to grow in her job. We're talking about, you know, as much as a year or two years, potentially, that a woman may be out of the fast driving, you know, fast driving, um, climbing corporate ladder, if you will. So really, for any woman that's in the workplace, um, what this is doing um, to us collectively, um, I think is, is we're going to feel it long after, God willing, there's some sort of recovery um, and, uh, and we move beyond this moment and, and hopefully to a healthier place as it relates to the virus. I'll just say too, in the papers this weekend, 860,000 women have left the workplace versus 260,000 yeah, men. So, you know, and then we also um, have the dramatic truth in this country that we're one of uh, one of the few developed countries, certainly the largest superpower, if you will, that doesn't have a paid family leave policy. I was reading in a newspaper this weekend, 179 developed countries have a paid family leave policy. Um, while we have many um, uh I mean, I don't want to say brave because it's, it is brave, but it's also necessary. We have many thoughtful corporations that have put new policies in place um, to meet this moment. We don't have a history in this country of women feeling comfortable um, in what that means, that they're not going to be penalized in the back end, that they're not going to receive pressure from their coworkers who have to take on their added duties. Those are, you know, women, if you will, that are probably more in a salary corporate environment. And I'll just conclude by asking to your point this moment, specifically about women at work, and then, you know, the, the tremendous number of women that are now forced to be teachers um, at home mm-hmm. and to be childcare workers, and they've lost that second income, um, and they're making, you know, really brutal. It's fair to say, I think, life and death choices in families because of this moment. You know, I see it literally playing out um, in my social circle. My next door neighbors here in Virginia, uh, the dad is an FBI uh, agent and uh, his grown adult daughter and her husband and three kids live with him. And, uh, you know, they're saving for a house, that kind of thing. They have three small girls. 
And when COVID happened, of course, she couldn't work anymore. She had to stay home and help get the kids through school. And it's really had an impact on them as this has been prolonged because in Virginia, they decided not to allow kids to go back to school. And so her career's essentially stopped. Uh, her husband and dad's still working, but she's got three little girls, one in first grade, one in kindergarten, and the other one in preschool, right? And they are trying to learn. And it's I've watched the toll it's taken on her. And it's just been like I've seen it play out in real time. And so you're right with everything you've said, uh, which brings me to my next question, kind of the last question or, or subject I want to get into, which is the gender gap in this election. Uh, what do we know, Rachel, about how we think women will vote this time? And I'm not really talking about just political parties or whether it's Trump or Biden, but really what's going to drive women to the polls? I mean, we've seen this since 2017, uh, 2018 and 2019. Uh, what do we expect in 2020 about women and voting? Yeah, I will go right to women in 2020. I do just want to reflect back on the observation about your friend and her, her three children in Virginia to say that the other thing that I've been thinking a lot about and we need to think a lot about collectively and empathetically uh, about each other is the mental health toll that this is taking on women, um, the depression and anxiety that this economic situation is placing on women um, and you know we're talking about that in some cases like it's a secondary it's secondary of import but as we all know um, those things affect um, they affect uh, day-to-day life and parenting so just I just want to acknowledge uh, that aspect of this to your question on the election you know one of the reasons that I was motivated to start engage after 20 years in elective politics was really doing a lot of thinking about the gender gap. And so I'll answer your question by saying, you know, one of the things that I want women to feel um, is how much power they have. I, I, you know, it's, it's sort of the other side of the coin of the fact that we're struggling um, disproportionately um, for men um, economically. We were prior to COVID and we certainly are post COVID. But the fact of the matter is, because we outnumber, outvote, and outlive men, one of the messages that I want to engage to, 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 to broadcast, if you will, is how much power we have to frame the outcome of elections. Because in fact, we do. Um, we, I would say in the last several elections, you know, whether it's the soccer mom or the suburban mom or um, any variety of, 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 of label they want to put on, on, on us as women, we really will decide this election. The numbers are very mm-hmm. clear. I do a lot of work with the AARP and the 50 plus woman is, is one of the four pillars that Engage is focused on. They will vote. Um, they will vote uh, in the 90 96 percentage. You think there are many people that would make the argument that the senior woman will actually decide this election. Um, I think we see uh, on the other side of that, the other on the other side of the age spectrum, age, age spectrum, if you will, incredible enthusiasm amongst millennials to vote, uh, an awakened social conscience, um, which is incredibly exciting to see, uh, a new racial awakening, if you will, about um, ways that our country um, is not as fair as it should be. We have work to do on getting to our ideals as remarkable as we are. And I think the lens that women are going to vote for 
uh, however they come out in this decision is really in many cases going to be what COVID has done to them. They are um, they're afraid of getting Corona. Um, they're afraid of affordable health. They're afraid of lack of affordable health care. They're afraid budget deficits because of all this money we're spending. They're gonna, you know, threaten to cut Social Security. Um, their affordable retirement or lack thereof, how they're gonna retire. So I think the number one thing I would say is that women, once again, um, I will expect to, to vote in mass numbers. Um, each of the party has a different challenge in attracting those women. I'm not sure, however, though, in this election, um, when everything gets said and done, that the number one um, aspect will be their fear about Corona uh, leadership and getting through this moment and their economic security. I'll just conclude that point, Sophia, because another thing that polling is showing um, that the ARP uh, has talked to me about and has briefed uh, engage about, and I, I'm fairly sure it's certain the millennial level, is that I think many women are particularly concerned about how divided we all are. Um, it's showing up in polling in new ways. Um, I think that that's a lens also through which women may make a decision. Um, I think there's a feeling, right, that, that how binary and divided we are is, is not something that's sustainable in the long term and not helping us uh, uh, feel one nation and as positive as we should. So we'll have to see. Yeah. Uh, I, no, you go, go ahead. No, no, I, I think that's right on. And I think that um, I love that you're focused on the 50 plus woman. That's now my demographic and many of my friends, all of us Gen Xers who turned 50 in the last year or two uh, and are moving into that. Uh, when I got the AARP card in the mail, I was upset yeah. about it. <laughs> it does make us take a breath. But uh, yeah, right. You move on. But listen, um, I'd like to wrap by just saying a couple things. One, I had the opportunity to my listeners to attend an engage event in Washington DC last week and it was fabulous and what I love about engage not only that it's bipartisan but I love the age um, fluidity the cross-generational talk as I like to call it uh, with women who are plus 60 plus 50 and as young as millennials in their 30s and 40s and on so it's really a good cross-generation of women which I think is important and uh, tell us how people can find out more about you uh, and, and how they can support the organization or get engaged, uh, Rachel, your social well, media, thank et cetera. You, Sophia. Our website is engagewomen.org. And I would ask each one of you to have a look. There's plenty of places for you to make, con uh, make comments, uh, to sign up, to hear about this growing movement of women that we are building. Um, I want Engage and those of us that are working very hard to provide you with a platform to learn about ways that you need to advocate for your own economic security um, so that you don't feel so alone, so that you know that we uh, understand the reality that you're living with and we come together. Um, as women, uh, not fighting in tribes, but together collectively to be powerful um, and to demand common sense solutions, which is what Engage is really about. So engagewomen.org, um, you'll see uh, lots of hopefully uh, 
content that generates thought um, and resonates with you. This month, we're launching something called the Bipartisan Beat, uh, which is a blog that you can find on engagewomen.org. I'll just end um, you, Sophia, by end this, Sophia, by saying thank you so very much for your generosity. We all know that whatever happens in November, whatever happens in November, the only path forward is for elected leaders at every level to work together to find solutions. And it's remarkable how that simple statement seems a bit more profound than it should in today's world. But the fact is, um, on that Wednesday after Tuesday, which we think about a lot, we have so much work to do um, for women's economic security, even now more than when Engage started several years ago because of COVID. So please come find us. Um, and hopefully we'll be continuing to give you information and ways to, if you will, engage in the process um, that will inspire you and, and help you feel like um, you're having a positive impact on your own future. Everyone, this has been a good chat with Rachel Pearson, the founder of Engage for Women, uh, which is an amazing network that she just spent some time talking about. We're going to have her back when life goes back to normal for all of us and we can go sit down with her and record in person as we used to do these podcasts before all of us got shut in. And uh, I'm grateful because we did have a bit of a time getting this done, but we made it happen because a really smart millennial yeah. <laughs> showed us how to make it work. So shout out to Laura Valentine. She does rock. Um, and uh I look forward to more Dala with you. I'm going to have you back again and again because I think we're going to have a lot to talk about post-November uh, 3rd because if we have a new uh, president and a new administration and a new female vice president for the first time ever, I think that's going to be a game changer as well in the West Wing of the White House for the first time, you know, in 240 plus years. So I'm excited about this. I'm looking forward to everything you do, Rachel. I'm glad to be engaged and involved yeah. using a phrase. And uh, thank you again for hanging out with us today. on It's the my honor. Podcast. I can't wait to come back. Thank you, Sophia. Okay. Okay.